Hello and happy Valentine's Day for those of you who celebrate such a thing. Happy Valentine's Day. So glad that you are here with us on Unbossed and in the co-host chair today is Lance. Lance from the surfs. Lance, how are you doing this fine afternoon? Uh, I'm very happy that I'm here and it's an absolute honor and pleasure to be back on the show. Thank you so much for having me. So glad to have you back. And is there anything happening on the surfs that we should know about? Uh, basically, if you like the sounds that come out of my voice and you'd like to hear more, uh, you can check out twitch.tv slash the surfs TV. I'll be doing a show right after this one. Excellent. We do like those sounds, Lance. So please join Lance on the show, The Surfs. You don't want to miss his commentary. And today, Lance and I were going to be talking about some deep stuff. First of all, New Zealand has been devastated by a hundred year cyclone. Students in Alabama walk out after being told to, quote, limit the black history program, end quote. Yeah, in the 21st century. And later in the show, we'll talk about the cultish defense of Pete Buttigieg and other neoliberals as well. But let us go first to New Zealand. Take a look. That was footage of the devastation caused by the cyclone Gabrielle in New Zealand. And here is what we know so far. New Zealand is under a declared national emergency Tuesday as floodwaters and heavy winds from cyclone Gabrielle battered the island with all the hallmarks of a storm made more intense by the climate crisis by causing severe flooding, mudslides and cut off power for at least a quarter of a million people. This reporting is coming from Common Dreams. Thank you, Common Dreams. And Prime Minister Chris Hipkins described the cyclone as such. The severity and the damage we are seeing has not been experienced in a generation. We are still building a picture of what the effects of the cyclone as it continues to unfold. But what we do know is the impact is significant and it is widespread. And again, that is coming from the Prime Minister of New Zealand. Now, according to the World Meteorological organization in a report from last year. The World Organization has re reminded the climate change is expected to increase and proportion of major tropical cyclones worldwide and to increase the heavy rainfall associated with these events. And that is coming from the United Nation. This is per the WMO organization reminding us that climate change and climate chaos is a factor 
in the type of natural disasters we are seeing right now. And unfortunately, this is just another reminder of the very real dangers of climate chaos. And this is something that we must tackle, we must address as a world. We must continue to lift the people of New Zealand as they navigate this disaster and as the world hopefully comes to their aid. Lance, your thoughts on this? I think you put it really well when you said we have to tackle this as a world because some people might forget already that Pakistan, for example, one third of the country was underwater and they contribute less than I believe 1% to global CO2 emissions. So this is a global problem that has to be addressed like this. And we have to start having a frank conversation about actually holding energy companies accountable. There should be either a strong push towards the nationalization of oil and energy companies as well as windfall taxes put upon those companies to be able to help the people directly impacted by things like climate change. Amen to that, Lance. I mean, you you definitely summed that up. So we will continue to watch this. Again, this is a worldwide phenomenon and it is gonna require the leaders of the world to come together in a very profound way. Why is it that world leaders come together to make war, but they cannot come together to tackle climate change or climate chaos? This is the trillion dollar question. We're gonna lay it out there. Come on world, let's come together and deal with this. Now we're leaving New Zealand, we're on to Alabama. Students in an Alabama high school walked out of class earlier this week. Why? Well, I'm so glad that you asked, here is why. More than 200 students walked out of class at an Alabama high school after they say they were told by school leaders to admit certain relevant events from an upcoming student-led Black History Month program. This reporting coming from the AP News. What exactly were those events? Students told WBMA TV they were ordered to leave out major historical moments, including slavery and the civil rights movement from the program scheduled for February 22nd at Hillcrest High School. Now, I don't know in Tuscaloosa what kind of black history you can program you can have without revisiting those very prominent and important historical events in black history, but that's just me. If anybody else agrees, please, in, in the, when you make your comments today, please let us know. My projector, my proctor from 8 a.m. to 3.15 for you to tell me I can't talk about something that is dealing with my culture is very disturbing. It is very confusing. Why am I being censored about my culture, something that is rooted in me? Why can't I talk about it? History is history and it's already been made and it cannot be erased. And that is coming from Ms. Shuttles, a Black History Month program member. And she has that just right. Why can't she talk about those things? Further, without our history, we are nothing. Without teaching our youth where we come from, how can we move forward? Amen and amen to that, that coming from Miss Brown. Now the county superintendent, Dr. Kerry Johnson denied these allegations. Flat out saying, you know, this stuff is not true. This is what she said. It is not true 
that faculty or staff told students that slavery or the civil rights movement could not be a part of the program. When several community members heard this and contacted Hillcrest High Administration out of concern, administration explained to them that this was false information that was circulating. So we got two different stories coming from one, the students that were participating in creating the program and the superintendent of schools. So bravo to those students for speaking out, speaking up, stepping out, shame on the school for potentially trying to sweep this under the rug. And this comes as no surprise though, as states like Florida continue to try to whitewash history for some reason, just don't understand it. So while we're talking about Florida, let's put up this headline. Ron DeSantis, who I proudly call the sanctimonious, I appreciate President Trump's naming of that man Lance, even though I heard a rumor from Marissa and Sachi today that he might just be changing the name. Now I don't agree with President Donald J. Trump on much, but he hit the nail on the head with de-sanctimonious. President Trump, I don't think you can come up with a better name than that. But anyway, Ron DeSantis's academic restrictions shows he hopes to change history by censoring it. Florida's Stop Woke Act and ban on African American studies will only deprive students of the right to think and learn. Amen to that. And we know that when they talk about woke, they're really talking about black people. So Lance, your thoughts on, on this? Uh, well, first off to all the students who did that, uh, the kids all right, y'all are credible and base, that's awesome, well done. Um, it seems to be this nonstop push towards let's try and rewash history in a way. Like I see a lot of right wingers right now getting really mad at this show on Disney Plus, uh, reboot of the Proud Family, had the audacity to tell uh, the true story of American history that slaves built the country that uh, you know it was built on a foundation of uh, genocide of indigenous people, that kind of stuff. And people getting really mad saying that it's anti white racism or something like that. It, the only thing is that uh, the only reason you would be upset about something or learning about that is if you happen to be a white supremacist, so you want to uphold white supremacy. Otherwise, why would you want to ignore the real history of the country or try to change it in the school system? That's that's what is so evident about this kind of march towards fascism that people like Ron DeSanctimonious are doing is that if we can just get rid of the uncomfortable truths, change the course of US history and make everyone believe in the foundational myth that there is some idealized version of America that is just not the reality of what happened. No, it's not Lance, you definitely hit the nail on the head with that. And even Francine, you know, from that headline that we put up, she is absolutely right. We are going to, we, but they, and I'm saying we just in a collective sense, it will be a disservice to the students coming up today, no matter what state that they live in. And your point about only, you would only be upset about these things if you are in fact a white supremacist. What is wrong with teaching history? in all of its machinations. It is not one straight line. There were bumps in the road, there were some serious aggression and transgressions that happened throughout America's history. And those are just the facts and they cannot be erased. America, we need to pay attention to what is happening all over this country because you have governors and other leaders really trying to turn back the hands of time. And then sometimes when we talk about stories like this, I wonder if we really are in the 21st century or are we back in the 20th century and maybe in some cases in the 19th century. And that is why we need people of good consciousness and people who understand that justice is a journey, it's not a destination to stay vigilant to make sure we've been down this path before. This is not the first time that there have been attempts by powerful people to either white 
whitewash, whitewash history, try to erase history, teach from this certain canon about what America is and what America is not. We've been down this road before, so we definitely know how to handle this. We got to continue to push and make sure that we put people in office who will not do these things. They can't change. They can't change what happened in the past, but we can make a difference moving forward. And that's really what this should be about, not stripping black people of their history. And then we can't even get a relief, can't even get relief in Black History Month for God's sakes. Lord have mercy. All right, we'll be back after this. Welcome back to the show. We're so glad you're here with us. Today is the 21st anniversary for TYT. We're going to celebrate that thing tonight. 21 years of driving positive change with us on TYT. And you join us tonight. We'll be there with Jink, Anna, John, JR, yours truly, Dr. Rashad Ritchie, Michael Shure, David Culler. Yeah, the gang's all here tonight, baby. Come on, you don't wanna miss this. It is going to be an absolute treat. And also we got a poll for you on tyt.com slash polls asking what your favorite TYT moment of all times of all time is. I'm giving that some thought myself. We're going to randomly select 10 people who participate in the poll to win a copy of Jinx's upcoming book, Justice is Coming. Set to be released September 19th. Cheers to 21 years. And here's wishing that TYT has 21 more. I know we will because of people like you. Now, I want you to listen to the full episode of Unbossed on the podcast, too. Yeah, you can get it on Apple Podcasts. Help the show. Please hit them five stars. So do that or wherever you get your podcast. Join us. Do that. Now on to the viewer comments coming from the TYT members first. Mickey, hey there, Mickey. There's too much profit to be made to bother with attacking climate change. Far too many of the elites think their wealth will protect them from the result of them destroying the planet. Mickey, you said that and that is so true. You know, they're gonna try to take one of them rocket ships to Mars and leave the rest of us here. But those of us who watch Don't Look Up, We know what happens in the end, baby. So if they try that, okay. And on Twitch, Sharpie Diesel. Hey, Sharpie Diesel. Maybe now would be a good time to shift to a humanitarian based economy. These capitalists can still make money as humanitarians. So, so true, Sharpie Diesel. Only they will listen to your wisdom. Yes, they can. Because nobody's against them making profits. It's just obscene profits. It's gluttony, it's greed that we have a problem with. And when you make profits off the backs and necks of people, if other folks get hurt because of your profits, then you're doing something wrong. It's socialism or or barbarism. Nina making life better for us all. Thank you so much for that. And on YouTube Super Chat, Sage, hi, Senator, the queen of unbossed. I received that. Now, as I have said time and time again, I'm not big on monarchies. But if there has to be one, you daggone right. I want to be the queen. And Hoover, hello, Hoover. Between DeSantis and GOP whitewashing history and neoliberals, come on now, whitewashing the present, though GOP does that too. 
the American people are left hanging out to dry. Hoover, that is so true and it's so unfortunate. But we don't have to stay in these places, these spaces and places. We can definitely, to quote Mahatma Gandhi, be the change that we want to see in the world. Now, speaking of neoliberals, Pete Buttigieg's failures following the Ohio train derailment has me asking WTF neoliberal. We will now kneel. Miss Cinema, Miss Cinema, no. I have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump and you ain't black. It may sound familiar, a train derailment in a small Ohio town sends a toxic plume of chemicals into the air, forcing residents to evacuate. That is the plot of last year's Adam Driver film, White Noise. And while it may sound like compelling fiction, it's also a reality for the nearly 5,000 residents of East Palestine, Ohio. It's a town 50 miles northwest of Pittsburgh, where a train carrying toxic chemicals derailed, washing the local community in hazardous fumes. How safe is it for residents of East Palestine? How serious is Norfolk Southern's financial commitment to making residents whole? Why did the Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg wait until moments ago to issue his first public statement on it on Twitter? Mandy got that right, and he certainly is asking an excellent question. Inquiring minds want to know why did it take so long for the Secretary of Transportation to weigh in on that? Let's let's talk. Let's see what the Secretary had to say. Put up his tweet. I continue to be concerned about the impacts of the February 3rd train derailment near East Palestine, Ohio, and the effects on families in the 10 days since their lives were upended through no fault of their own. It's important that families have access to useful and accurate information. Now let me get this right. We got a chemical, a train derailed carrying poisonous chemicals that can seep in the soil, it's in the air, in the water. And you got the Secretary of Transportation. First of all, it took them 10 days as Medi laid out and then this tweet about it is important that families have access to useful and accurate information. Hmm, I'm gonna save my cousin. A reminder that the train derailment on February the 3rd, and it took a full 10 days for Pete to even acknowledge that this happened. And when he did acknowledge it, he said, Oh, the family got to get the families have to have accurate information instead of him saying to these people, I'm on it. And there will be some consequences and repercussions because of your suffering. Oh No, what he said is that it's important that these families get accurate information and useful information. Let's put up there has been a lot of Twitter responses to this as I'm sure we all know. Roger had to say this, had this to say, continue to be concerned. He put that in quotes, is a hell of a way to express being silent for 10 days. Roger, I'm with you on that. And naturally though, the cult of neoliberals rushed to his defense to try to ensure that he is not responsible, nor should he be held accountable. Let's take a look at what some of the neoliberals had to say. This is coming from Brian. The fact that Republicans are relentlessly attacking the Secretary of Transportation, Pete Buttigieg, over a random, y'all believe this? Over a random train derailment in Ohio tells me only one thing. 
They fear Mayor Pete's political future. He will be president one day and Republicans know it. Now let me get this straight. You see how quickly this dude went to partisan politics instead of giving a damn about what the families of East Palestine are going through. He went straight and I mean all the way straight to politics now and into the future. Because of course, the Republicans are shaking in their boots. Of course they are, I know they are. No, Brian, this isn't some random derailment. This disaster is affecting thousands of people. And we'll get to that later. But the gall of this man to tweet such an asinine thing, it's just really cruel and it's heartless. And then he went even further in a response to someone who called him out. And I'm glad that this person called him out, let's put this up. No, I'm a Democrat living in Ohio and furious about it. Don't make this some partisan hack thing. Brian did not get the clue on that. He didn't just stand down, be quiet. Don't tweet another damn word, Brian. Oh no, cuz neoliberals can't help themselves. So this was his comeback. So what does the transportation secretary have to do with it? What does the Secretary of Transportation have to do with it? Everything. Is he supposed to be monitoring every single train and railroad? Uh, yeah, dude. Derailments happen all the time. They should be very infrequent. I'm putting my turnerism in, <laughs> in this as I read through this because I can't even hardly stand it. They are politicizing it, not me. No, Brian, dude, you politicized it. The Trump administration rolled back Obama era breaking requirements. This, this dude, I mean, just okay. All right, so he did all that. He said all that. Now, I want to give Brian and the rest of the neoliberals who think that a reminder. Pete Buttigieg as transportation secretary has nothing to do with this. Okay, well, let's let him know how he does have everything to do with this. Let's put this up. Pete Buttigieg's department has not moved to reinstate. Obama era rail safety rule aimed at expanding the use of better braking technology, even though a formal, a former federal safety official recently warned Congress that without the better brakes, there will be more derailments and more releases of hazardous materials. So Lance, I just jump in. I mean, maybe it's me. I would love to know your thoughts on the point. That the Secretary of Transportation, one, has nothing to do with this. And then two, it's just some helpless citizen in the United States of America with no power at all. Uh, I mean, you're perfectly on point. I, I think there's no question that the debate is moving and marching towards fascism in a lot of ways, and it's definitely frightening. Uh, but both parties, unquestionably, uh, seem to be in the hands of corporations. This is an issue where the workers, first off, were saying that this is something that they need to have addressed immediately. The company itself is doing almost $10 billion in stock buybacks. They have the money to pay for this thing. Apparently, it would cost about two weeks worth of profits for them to upgrade all the braking systems on trains. And yes, it's disgusting and deplorable that the Trump administration removed the safety measures for that braking system. But you did reinstate it when you had the power to do so, which now falls upon you. And again, this is one of those things like it's straight out of a horror movie. The citizens of Ohio at first, because the mainstream media wasn't reporting on this for so long, reporting that their chickens are dying and fish are dying in the water. And no one knows what's happening because of this massive chemical spill. It's absolutely 
absolutely disgusting that people are trying to turn this into partisan politics when everyone is to blame. And ultimately, it's because the corporate Democrats, like the corporate Republicans, are in the pockets of surprise, surprise corporations. There it is, Lance. The owner donors continue to win out even with such suffering that is vivid. I mean, everybody can see what is happening in East Palestine, Ohio. Another point, the Department of Transportation most recent regulatory agenda, which lists all planned, proposed and final rules, guess what? Does not include ECP break rule. So the point that Lance and I are making, even if you are in that camp of don't blame the transportation secretary, he had nothing to do with this. Okay, but he can do something to make a difference in this moment. He is not powerless in this particular moment. And you know what? Just as the Trump administration rolled back the rules, the Biden administration can reinstate those rules. Hello, it's called new administration with that power to do something about this situation. But instead, you got folks like this Brian dude making excuses for the Secretary of Transportation's inaction on this. It's wrong, absolutely wrong. And then hello somebody, let's go ahead and put up this tweet from Philip Lewis before the North Southern train derailment prompted emergency evacuations in Ohio. The company helped kill a federal safety rule aimed at upgrading the rail industry's Civil War era breaking system. Now wrap your mind around that for a minute. Let that marinate around you for a minute. Helpless? I don't think so. Now, this transportation secretary and President Joe Biden were so quick to sell to side with the rail barons. I'm sure many of you are old enough to remember that. They screwed over rail workers who warned of this exact problem as they fought for the right to have paid sick leave. Yeah, messed them over. Them and the 117th Congress, with the exception of a handful of folks who voted against that. Yet it's taken them literally two years and counting and they still refuse to hold these rail companies accountable. I wonder why. Now the neoliberals belief that Pete Buttigieg could have done nothing and still can do nothing is a complete and utter lie. It's not a fib, it's not a fabrication, read my lips. I said it is an absolute lie, underscore it, bold it, underline it, put it in a message in a bottle on a train, not loaded with chemicals that can derail and then derail people's livelihoods in the process of derailing. I said it, it is an absolute lie. He can do something about this. He should do something about this. And it further exemplifies the cult-like mind high of the establishment Democrats to have all of these stands come to their rescue and just say basically to hell with the people of East Palestine. That they would rather side with those kind of power over the people is shameful, it really is. And to top it off, there was another train derailment in Houston. And guess what? Residents of East Palestine and Ohio as a whole are still dealing with these consequences. So they had that derailment and we still got trouble. Take a look at this. Breaking, here's this dude again. 
A Union Pacific train has derailed after hitting a truck in Houston, Texas area. Some hazardous materials were being carried by this train. Note to Republicans, this one isn't Poot, uh, Pete Buttigieg's fault either. Are you kidding me? And this dude had a check mark too. I mean, he should know better. Now, David Sirota of The Lever, shout out to The Lever for staying on top of this story, baby. They've been hammering this story. Shout out to them. Go ahead and let's put up what David Sirota had to say. Liberals are now announcing massive disasters in real time and preemptively insisting the chief regulator shouldn't be held accountable. Lance, I feel like, I mean, I feel like we're in a horror film, but this is happening right now. I like is Brian Krasenstein getting paychecks for PR for for people who what is going on here? Uh, like both Republicans and the Democrats can't keep pretending like they are the party of workers when they don't listen to workers and when they keep screwing over workers. And this is one of those situations where the people whose jobs it is to transport our goods and obviously they want to be safe as well are telling you the braking system in some of these trains date back to the Civil War era. That that is absolutely disgusting that we would allow this to come to pass and then afterwards be like, well, it's the Republicans fault. It's the Democrats fault. Everyone's playing the blame game. It's everyone's fault in this case. There are multiple people who are to blame, but ultimately let's not take away the, the the narrative that this is again a corporation that is putting profits over people. That's ultimately what's happening here. That is it. It really is as simple as that. It is not complicated at all, Lance. And I'm breaking this down for you. And you know my stunt double had to get in on this action. Let's take a look at what she had to say. I do not care who the Secretary of Transportation is. God knows I don't care. I do not I do care about the people of East Palestine, Ohio. I care that Norfolk Sutherland is held accountable. I care that regulations are put in place to avoid further disasters. I mean, America, it doesn't get more simple than that. Now Lance and I laid it out for you, this is not complicated. Is not rocket science at all. It is really simple. When corporations mess up, they need to be held accountable. Government should come to the rescue of its people. And it doesn't matter who is in charge of that government. It can be a Republican, a Democrat, a Libertarian, somebody that's a little country rock and roll. Don't matter to me, a little rap. A little blues, a little jazz, a little R&B, baby, it don't matter to me how you roll. If you are in charge and you have the power, you must come to the rescue of the people. They don't deserve this. They deserve better than this. And all they get is all these neoliberals making excuses and Republicans jumping on an opportunity to one up the Democratic Party. Hell, the Republicans could be saying, let's help the people, but oh no, that would be just too much for the corporatist wing of both of these parties to do. Now, so while Secretary Pete continues to offer platitudes, the residents of East Palestine and Ohio as a whole are dealing with the severe consequences of this administration's lack of action for two years. Even before any of these derailments happened, they could have been on the job. 
I mean, first of all, one of the first things I would have done coming into the administration is to look at every and anything that the Trump administration rolled back. That's number one, two, three, four, and five. Hell, my two toddlers could have said that, tell you that. That's the first thing you do coming into the administration. That's simple. And whose fault is that? I guess they're gonna blame it on Trump. That they didn't take a look at the things that this man rolled back, take an accounting and do something different. If need be, they didn't do any of that. Let's put up this headline, officials probing if toxins from train derailment spilled into Ohio River. You think drinking water source for 5 million people. So the people of East Palestine may be, not maybe, they are at the eye of all of this. But trust and believe this has a ripple effect all across the state and even going into Pittsburgh. Okay, hello somebody on this. So let's stop making excuses for these people with fancy titles and demand that they do their damn job. 50 Shades of Weed weighed in on this too. There have been numerous reports of dead animals all over Ohio. The Norfolk Sutherland train derailment is a major ecological disaster and people need to be criminally charged for this kind of gross negligence or it's doomed to repeat itself. And he tweeted that at the President of the United States of America. I'm with you, 50 Shades of Weed, you damn right, absolutely. And a reminder, if there were toxic chemicals being released in wealthy suburban areas, there would be a little more outraged than what we're seeing right now. This is indeed a class issue. But this isn't just Secretary Buttigieg. Don't think we've forgotten about you, Ohio Governor Mike DeWine. We're not letting you off the hook either, boo. Put up his tweet, East Palestine residents are able to return to their homes. Really? Governor, seriously? He needs to be outraged. His hair should be on fire. He should be out there saying to these people, I'm gonna do everything that I can in my power. And even though there's a Democrat as president, I'm a partner with that president and his administration to get you some relief right now. But I'm sending the cavalry to help you right now. I'm gonna use some of the state coffers right now. And then I'm partnering with the feds. We will not stand for this Norfolk Sutherland. We coming for you, baby. If I were governor, that's what I would be doing. But you know, that's me. David Dean had this to say. Governor Mike DeWine has not made a public statement on East Palestine since saying everyone could return home five days ago at a press conference where a reporter was arrested and charged. DeWine has taken the intervening time to celebrate Ohio's inventors. Though, Lance, I don't even know what you're gonna do with this. I sigh deeply, really. We didn't even talk about the fact that one of the reporters who was trying to actually cover this story ended up getting arrested. It's like from a top on down kind of the cover up was the first move rather than like public safety, which which is ultimately like a lot of people are shocked and appalled at everything they're seeing right now. But what you're seeing is something that time and time again, if you have a system set up in which corporations are gonna wanna maximize as much profit as possible to be competitive with other competitors and other corporations, you need a government that's gonna put regulations in place to be able to protect the safety of the people. If the government under Trump suddenly removes those regulations and you don't return them like you said, then again, you are just waiting for these disasters to happen. This is just a matter of time kind of scenario. Yeah, and they're culpable. I mean, you gotta admit you have the power now. Right now, they are not helpless. And that's, I'm hoping that people are listening to our commentary today, get that. That you can like politicians, right? People like politicians, but you can't like and love these politicians so much that you excuse inaction, 
even in the face of people's literal lives being in danger. I mean, there are parents that are worried about their babies drinking that water and I don't blame them. It's in the soil, it's in the air. And then folks are gonna sit up here and defend Buttigieg or Biden or anybody. I mean, President Obama was in office and this happened. I say the same thing. This is not about respect to persons except for having respect for the people who are closest to the pain. Governor DeWine, President Biden, Secretary Buttigieg, can you hear us? I'm calling on black Jesus. That's who I have to call in when it's real serious. And this is really, really serious. It's very disappointing too. Now we're moving on from this. We're gonna keep y'all, look, we're gonna stay on top of this. And again, thank the lover and Davis Road and that incredible team that he has over there, writers, for lifting this up when mainstream media would not. We here on Unboss and on TYT Network, we're gonna keep you informed on this. We will not be letting this go at all. We staying on top of this. Now on to the Emmett Till lawsuit. Emmett Till did not get to live out his life. He did not get to grow up or grow old. No, he didn't. But an accomplice in his murder did, and that's Caroline Bryant. But it's never too late to seek justice. Justice does not have an expiration date. Now let's take you back to what happened to Emmett Till when he was only 14 years old in Money, Mississippi. Emmett Till, a 14-year-old boy from Chicago, was visiting his family in Mississippi. And again, I said it was Money, Mississippi. When he had an encounter with the 20-year-old Carolyn Bryant. Accounts from that day differ, but witnesses allege Emmett Till whistled at Bryant, now Doham, at the market she owned with her husband in Money, Mississippi. Later, her husband Roy Bryant and J.W. Milan took Till from his bed. Y'all understand what I'm saying? walked all up into his uncle's home because that's where he was. That's where he was visiting, took him from his bed and ordered him into the back of a pickup truck and beat him before shooting him in the head and tossing his body into the Tallahatchie River. They were both acquitted of murder. You know why? Because it was all white jury. Following the trial in which Carolyn Bryant testified that Emmett Till grabbed and verbally threatened her. And that was an easy charge for white women to make in the 50s. And even still today, very easy to make. This 14 year old little boy was murdered, yanked out of his uncle's home. Did you hear me? This didn't happen 100 years ago. Just yanked out of his uncle's house. So black people had no agency even in their own house. They were so enraged that he may have whistled or flirted with her. Which we doubt happened, but even if he did, who the hell do they think they are? And they got away with it because it was all white jury. In 2007, a Mississippi grand jury declined to indict Brian on any of the charges. But a newly filed lawsuit is seeking that justice that Emmett Till absolutely deserves. Last year, a five member search group, including members of Till's family, found an unserved 1955 arrest warrant for Bryant at the LaFleur County Courthouse, wasn't served. 
Therefore, in a federal lawsuit filed earlier this week, a family member of Emmett Till is demanding that LaFleur County Sheriff Ricky Banks serve an arrest warrant from 1955 on Carolyn Bryant Dunham for her role in the death of Emmett Till. The lawsuit goes on to state it was Carolyn Bryant's lie, say that, that sent Roy Bryant and J.W. Milan went into rage, which resulted in the mutilation of Emmett Till's body, a unrecognizable condition. And Emmett Till's mother showed such great courage because she decided she wanted to have an open casket, quoting, she wanted the world to see what those folks did to her baby. To this day, the warrant issue for Carolyn Bryant remains unserved. Carolyn Bryant's whereabouts are known. They know exactly where to find her. This action is being brought in order to compel LaFleur County Sheriff to serve the warrant upon Carolyn Bryant. Let's put up the picture of Emmett Till. The little boy that he was, he did not deserve that. But in America, black children can't be little boys and little girls, little people. They cannot be. If Emmett Till were alive today, he would be 81 years old. The tweet from Charles Booker, if Emmett Till were alive today, there would be four US senators older than him. What a way to put that in perspective. The history they want to ban is still with us. So Lance, this is gut wrenching. And I know some people will say, oh, well, it happened a long time ago and Carolyn Bryan is older. The hell with it. She had an opportunity to grow old and Emmett Till did not. He was murdered because of a lie she told. I'm worried that the fact that we're talking about the story means that you'll be banned in Florida or something. People try to I don't know, look at history through the lens of, well, things change a lot and there's a lot of movement toward. If this happened today, the story would basically be that Emmett Till, uh, the right would be talking about how uh, he was on fentanyl or he had done something wrong. Well, how good of a person was Emmett Till really? Did, did you know that Emmett Till may have done a small amount of nonviolent crime at some point in his life? We have to look at this. like. The racism didn't just go away, it didn't just suddenly stop. It wasn't like Obama got elected and then all of a sudden all the problems were fixed. Yes, there's been a lot of great marches and movements and civil rights accomplishments in the United States history. But now we're living in a time when it's Black History Month and where we have just been talking and telling stories about how they're trying to ban certain aspects of African American history in schools in the United States. Like you can't even teach this stuff anymore. But that is beyond sickening to be honest with you. No, it is, Lance. And, and there has to be a reckoning in this country, a recognition and a reckoning. And as you said in a previous segment, if you are not a white supremacist, then none of this should bother you at all. None. And we need people who are conscious minded from all walks of life to care about this, these things, to care about these matters. And we have to correct. There has to be a correction here. It's not enough to say, "Oh, we're sorry and this happened." No, it must be a correction to those wrongs that are so still deeply rooted in America's history. In our other, so we were talking about, and you were sharing with me during the break about the whole notion we call things whitewashing here, and you were saying that in Canada is called maple washing. 
Yeah, we do the same thing. Our schools and our history in Canada, they're made in such a way that they want to make you think that Canada and the history of Canada is this beautiful utopia. And it's it's multicultural, it's diverse. People come from all different parts of the world in order to have this shared multicultural experience. And they they gloss over the fact that, you know, the residential school system in Canada, for example, the last residential school, and if your American listeners don't know, the residential school system was one in which indigenous kids were taken from their mother's arms, forcibly put into these schools where they were tortured, raped, abused, all this kind of stuff. And their culture was tried to be erased from them. The last one closed in 1996. So this isn't like hundreds of years ago. This is like, oh, that was the past when racism existed, but we got rid of racism. No, these systems and their implications and ramifications still exist today. And it's really important that we don't ignore them or try to hide from them. We need to teach this so that other people can recognize this is why a lot of the different inequalities Qualities in life exists. Yeah, so true, Lance. And thanks for sharing that with us. I mean, to, to see that we're not the only nation dealing with these kinds of issues, and probably most nations try to whitewash history or maple wash history, and we shouldn't let them do that. And even if it is over a hundred years, which you know, for the Emmett Till case, you know, it is. I mean, we still should care about this, and justice should still be served. Well, Lance and I are going to go to the backbone. We haven't had a bone in a very long time. And the person that we want to highlight for our backbone today is none other than Miss Fannie Lou Hamer. Now, Minister Malcolm X introduced her once at a speech and he called her America's number one woman freedom fighting or called her America's number one freedom fighting woman. She was a fierce advocate for freedom and liberation. She was what Dr. Cornell West often calls a long distance runner for justice. Let's hear what she had to say on matters of justice or injustice, particularly her testimony before the DNC Credentials Committee in 1964. Mr. Chairman and to the Credentials Committee, my name is Mrs. Fannie Lou Hamer. All of this is on account of we want to register to become first class citizens. And if the Freedom Democratic Party is not seated now, I question America. Is this America, the land of the free and the home of the brave? Where we have to sleep with our telephones off of the hook because our lives be threatened daily because we want to live as decent human beings in America. She was one of the most compelling speakers of the 20th century. Just eloquent in every way, and she knew how to break things down. Now, you notice in that she said, We have to sleep with our phones off the hook. I know that is a long, long time ago. Many of these millennials, I mean, if you a millennial, you like phone off the hook. What is that? And especially if you a Z or a Y, you don't even know what the heck a phone off the hook is. But yeah, all of those threats, and we have seen countless movies that have reenacted. Both reenacted things from the 50s and the 60s, and you see those telephones on the wall. Yeah, I came up in a generation. I could picture my grandmother's telephone on that wall right now, but they could not get rest or peace because they were threatened at all times. And for Miss Fannie Lou Hamer to be able to speak that kind of truth in plain speak is indeed a beautiful thing. And she could really stir a crowd. She had a gift for getting to the heart of the matter. Watch this. 
If I hate you because you hate me, I'm no better than you are. And all we want to do is to make these people understand that we are human beings and we can work together. See the common thing there, theme there, we are human beings and we can work together. Really all she was asking for this is for this country to love black folks as much as black folks love this country. She was asking for justice, not asking for too much. Ms. Fannie Lou Hamer was a sharecropper in Mississippi. She stood up for rights. She was jailed at one time by the sheriff's department and the sheriff's department had other black black men that were in that jail to beat her. She was beaten, she was thrown off the sharecropper's land. I mean, she had to endure a lot. Ms. Fannie Lou Hamer often talked about knowing what it meant to be hungry, knowing what it meant to suffer, but yet and still she continued to persevere. She persisted, she continued to push. And as her great niece Monica Land put it, her aunt had been making it known that she was sick and tired of being sick and tired before she got involved in the civil rights movement. Take a look. Long before she got involved in civil rights, she was saying, We are sick and tired of being sick and tired. We are tired of working for three million dollars a day, going home and being too tired to cook what little we did have. Woo, they just do not make them like that generation of black women anymore. So Lance, we're highlighting Fannie Lou Hamer for all of her great work and the great courage. I mean, she really put a lot, she put her life literally on the line to fight for the right to vote. She even went up against the President of the United States of America. And that first speech that we showed, it was her talking about the the Credentials Committee and her and a group of other leaders in Mississippi formed the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party because they were pushing back against the elites, the status quo of the Democratic Party in the 1960s. She shook President Johnson so bad that they that he held a press conference, didn't even need to hold a press conference. He was trying to take the shine off of Fannie Lou Hamer. He failed to do that, but that is just how much power this woman had, Lance. Did we invent that expression? We're sick and tired of being sick and tired. Because, like, if so, I, I didn't know that. That's that. If that's if that's part of history, that's absolutely incredible. But um, wow, just absolutely stunning that to, to see that level of confidence and especially standing up to, to oppression when you know there, there's an intersection there between both uh, patriarchy and white supremacy you're fighting both against uh, you know within your own group of uh, the misogyny that you may experience and, and outside of that the, the racism that you experience with the very same system so absolutely incredible. Yeah, true that it is an intersection of those two horrible variables. But yeah, she was the one that popularized, I'm sick and tired, it was her, yeah. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. And people quote that often because it's just so apropos for many situations where people find themselves with their backs against the wall. And so now we're gonna put up one of the quotes from Fannie Lou Hamer that I think really seals this moment off quite nicely. Sometimes it's seen like to tell the truth today is to run the risk of being killed. But if I fall, I'll fall five feet, four inches forward in the fight for freedom. I'm not backing off. 
Fannie Lou Hamer, civil rights leader and founder of the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party. Man, even with all that she was enduring, she said, listen, I'm gonna fight this fight. And if I fall, I'm falling forward. I am going to stand up and continue to push against injustice in all of its forms for my people and for all people. And last, what was really spectacular about her that we don't talk about a lot is her family and how close she was to her family and the support that she got from her family. And also that the Mississippi Freedom, notice the word Freedom Democratic Party was formed by both blacks and whites in Mississippi. That's pretty incredible. I'm I'm learning so much on the show today. This is this is really awesome. Um, I I guess the, the last thing I would, I would say about that there's a meme going on right now on the internet where uh, young men are asked what are like uh, five women who inspired you or, or inspire you and none of them can name one and it's going everyone's like this is uh, so shocking. Well, here's a, a great example to to get started for everyone if you want to if you want to look to to have a hero in your life uh, start you know researching and clearly I need to do more uh, on Fannie Lou Hammer. Uh, that's that's absolutely incredible. Yeah, she was and is an incredible woman and it is because of her fight. I mean, a lot of times we give singular leaders all the credit when we know that it takes teamwork to make the dream work. And even in this country as we teach about and think about the civil rights movement itself. And I wanna pull out the Voting Rights Act in particular. Fannie Lou Hamer was a was a strong advocate for that. It was really because of her, she was one of the greatest champions for pushing to make sure that the Voting Rights Act, the Voting Rights Act, I should say, passed. And we know that under Johnson, we got both the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act. And Fannie Lou Hamer was central to making that happen, even being bold enough to challenge the President of the United States of America and to form a new political party because the status quo Democratic Party was not working for her and all that she loved. And she did it in a way that brought in other poor people who were suffering too, suffering blacks and whites. They did that together. We should take a page out of Fannie Lou Hamer's book. But that is our time today. It was so beautiful to spare to spend this moment with you. And I wanna thank Lance for being in the co-host chair today. You all know what we want you to do right about this time. I want you to keep the faith, but more importantly, keep the fight. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Unbossed. If you like the show, then you'll enjoy our other podcasts on TYT Network like The Damage Report with John Iderola, Indisputable with Dr. Rashad Ritchie, and The Young Turks. Make sure to listen and follow, and if you like what you hear, give us a five-star rating.